Diecast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. Today, we get the latest on the Bundesliga's plans to return in May, fears of a fan protest and the long-term effects of the coronavirus crisis on the 36 professional clubs. And there'll also be time to have a look at The Athletic's team of the year in Germany. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by regular contributors Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard, the best big man-little man combination since Roy Mackay and Ali Karimi. But before we start, don't forget you can read all the fabulous content on The Athletic for a 90-day free trial. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Hello, gents. Really nice to have you back on the show. Now, before we start with our regular Starcast content, I want to ask you, what is the side hustle right now? Now, sources close to the Kevin Hatchard family household have told The Athletic that he's working on a novel. How's the progress there, Kevin? We're getting there. Uh, so this is something I started uh, eight years ago. It's uh, in the fantasy genre. So think kind of Game of Thrones, that kind of thing. Uh, and I've picked it back up. I've gone through the chapters that I originally wrote. My thought was, I hope I don't read this and think, oh God, this should never see the light of day, which is usually what happens with projects that I start in terms of novel writing and don't finish. But actually, it's the first thing I've read back and thought, okay, this is all right. And so we're now 19 chapters in a prologue in with about four or five chapters left. So we're getting there. It's all very exciting. Wow. Are there elves? There aren't any elves. No. 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 Okay. Uh, intriguing. All mainly, intriguing. All mainly humans, either with magic or without. Okay. Christoph, what kind of magic is happening at your office <laughs> at the moment? Not so much, much magic, actually. Um, I'm also working on a book, not a novel, but uh, I don't want to talk about it right now. But I will be only too happy to talk about it uh, in the... Hopefully, near future. Yeah, you'll promote the hell out of it on Starcast, I'm sure, when it comes out eventually. Quite right, too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Now, I, I guess the um, appearance of your book, Christoph, might be tied in with football coming back or being resolved at one stage. Um, what's the latest, uh, as far as you understand? We've had a bit of optimism um, the week before last, where it looked as if football was almost immediately coming back um sky the local rights holders put a yeah ad and build <laughs> celebrating the imminent return but it seems that people are a lot more cautious since then what's the latest christoph it's difficult to to actually say what the latest is because uh, it's so many people deciding about it it's the head of the uh, local states or the federal states in germany that are deciding about it together with the with the chancellor and and i th my my impression is that there are uh, mixed opinions about all that so To everybody who has not followed it, uh, last week the um, German Football League made a proposal how they could handle uh, returning to football on a medical level, to how to test players, how to separate uh, people operating at stadium and, uh, and so on. It's, it's, a, it's a very complex 41 pages long thing that is uh, taking anything in account that is happening on a 
on a match day and um, but now this week or maybe later we don't even know if this week will be decided about it or if the decision will be postponed people fr from politics will look into it because uh, there is no chance for the football league to decide uh, about it and uh, so they are completely in the hand of uh, of the politicians who who are uh, running the crisis it's really interesting because I spoke to somebody at a Bundesliga club on Sunday and asked him whether he felt there was likely to be a definitive yes or no on April the 30th, which, as Christoph says, is when uh, the federal government meets with the, the state governments. And he said that he didn't expect uh, a hard and fast decision. Then he thinks it'll be a few days later. Uh, the, the date he thought was May the 3rd or maybe even when they meet again uh, on May the 6th. So it does seem to be a bit of a softly, softly approach. And the, the DFL boss, Christian Seifert, said, look, if they say to us, go on May the 9th, then we're ready. But the feeling is, I think, that they would prefer to go a bit later, maybe the 16th or the 23rd. In a way, the pressure's off slightly on the, on the, as far as the clubs are concerned because they have managed to secure that latest and last part of the TV money. Now, that does help them, I think, to be a bit more flexible. They don't have to rush back necessarily. I think all the money... Um, has either been paid or will be paid on May 1st, um, according to the latest agreement that they've had. So uh, I guess that the idea that football will be back more or less um, in some shape or form before the end of May was enough to secure that TV rights money and now they can breathe a little bit easier. Christo, is that how you see things? Exactly. I, I, I see it in the same way. Although I think it's 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 very helpful um, on a, let's say, psychological level because, I, in my opinion, football was pushing things a bit too much because they had to convince the right holders uh, to, to, to pay their money so that not some of the clubs would go immediately bust in the next week. So that's helped a lot. And, and now I think everybody also has the impression, okay, it would be perfect if we could finish the season uh, with uh, so-called Geisterspiele, ghost matches, uh, before the end of June. But, but if it's uh, mid-July or end of July, okay, we, we could also be fine with that. And so that is easing a bit the pressure out of the whole story because there was a lot of criticism towards uh, uh, football in Germany and also not only from outside, but also a lot from, uh, from different supporters' organizations because they had the feeling that football was not reading well the, the signs on the wall. The one note of caution I'd strike about the, the TV money and the finances is that there has been talk, and that's been backed up by conversations I've had, that it's not the entirety of that final tranche of TV money that's been guaranteed. I think that final payment's been split. That seems to be um, the situation. So that first bit of the final tranche of TV money is guaranteed and will come through, but the money in its entirety is dependent on whether Geisterspieler ghost games are played. So I think you know, while the pressure has been eased to some extent, I think there is still a financial imperative there 
for these clubs to try and make something happen. So I'm not entirely sure that's completely gone away. Mm, that's really interesting, actually. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about how clubs are affected at the moment, and especially um, maybe clubs a little bit lower down, lower down the pecking order. But first of all, I wanted to ask you, both of you, what do you actually make of the concept um, of the strategy paper? It, has it convinced you that uh, football is able to come back? I'm asking because Christoph wrote a very interesting piece in El Freunde, which was saying that there is a sort of a, a, a real dilemma and, and dichotomy at the whole of this, because on the one hand, the strategy paper tries everything to keep people apart. But then, of course, it does so in order for people to be on the pitch and do everything they would normally do. So has that kind of conflict been resolved properly, I wonder? What do you think? I'll start with you, Kevin. I think they've done everything that they could have done. I mean, they were asked to go away and come up with a medical concept. They've worked with the national team doctor. They've worked very hard, I know that, on on putting this together. I mean, the main plank of this, I guess, is that you know, players will will have regular swabs in general and temperature checks and all that. But the, the key test is the day before a game. So say you had a game on a Saturday, the players would be tested on the Friday morning and then those results would come through first thing Saturday. And then if a player tests positive, then they would be isolated. And I think then the National Health Authority, sorry, the, the relevant regional health authority is contacted. Um I think they've dotted as many I's and crossed as many T's as they can, but they know that it's a fragile process. They know it's something that they may be able to start. It may go on for a couple of weeks and then it may start to unravel. And I think they're also conscious of the national picture because they know that there is criticism about testing. Obviously, Germany has a bigger testing capacity than than some other countries and has, and has been much more efficient in that regard than some other countries. Um, and so they're aware of that kind of sensitivity. So they have donated some money towards testing. They will pay for all the tests uh, that are required themselves. I think the figure is somewhere between 20 and 25,000. So that's about two and a half million euros. So I think they've done everything they can do in what is a very, very tricky situation. I think Kevin is right. They they um, did everything uh, or they tried to do everything that you can do. But in the end, as you, uh, as you said, it's a, it's a dilemma or it's a contradiction in itself. We're talking a lot about distancing ourselves from others, but football is exactly the opposite. So not only on a practical level, so how you travel to, uh, on, on different team buses so that people are separated from each other and then when, when you enter the stadium in the end you clash literally on the field, but also and I think that's uh, that's will influence the political decision much is how, how how much do you want to show people other people who are uh, not distancing the, themselves? I um, I don't know uh, if I think I'm not the only person who is like when you watching footage from football or from politics or from everywhere where you see people standing very close together, you already feel like oh did that really happen? And uh, and if they are returning onto the pitch and and they they will be very close, I, I think that that's in itself is is uh, is very uh, will be very strange, and people will probably also see it as a 
wrong signal at that uh, in this time. But yeah, I mean, a very, very complicated matter. I mean, I'd like to think that you can explain to people that when they watch football, it's a bit like watching a TV series when people get shot. It's not real blood. What I mean is <laughs> these people are being tested all the time and it's not the same as if they're just random 22 guys meeting up in the in the park to play to get each other. But I, I think you're right, Christoph and, and Kevin. The issue I have with this concept, apart from, I think, being a little bit vague what really happens when somebody does get tested positive because it seems... Mm not clearly defined. Um, yes, the league have said we're not in charge at that moment, but I think it seems a very sort of um, a big void in that concept to understand what really would happen when somebody does test back positive who's spent the whole week training with everybody else. Um, but the other thing is that what I find a little bit hard to get my head around is that you have on the one hand the idea that is going that it is safe to play with the testing regime and on the other hand everything is being done to keep players apart as much as possible and I think there seems to be a a real contradiction in that and maybe it's just a symbolic one maybe you feel well if it is safe to play why do they have to travel in separate buses and why can't they have the same showers and stuff. So there does seem to be something doesn't seem to be one hundred percent thought through, or maybe it just looks that way. But I guess it's about the minimization of risk, isn't it? I suppose, and I suppose with the what you were saying about they've been training all week with those players. I think the way they've set out the testing structure, and you know, I suppose we can talk about how reliable those tests will be. But I suppose the theory is you've had training all week. But if you have those tests on Friday and then on the Saturday, one guy tests positive, you'll also know that the other guys in that squad have not tested positive. So at that point where, you know, player X is is positive and the rest aren't, then that player can be isolated from the rest of the squad. And, you know, at that point on the Saturday morning that the rest of the guys do not have uh, COVID-19 at that stage so i suppose that's the way they're looking at it but i totally agree with you rafa that 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 is the vaguest part of it what happens then once that player has actually contracted the virus it means uh, in a way you 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 uh, treat an infection like a groin injury or or something like that so uh, okay he can't play he is uh, he is infected, but the decision if the rest of the team has go to go into quarantine is not in the hands of the um, football authorities, as as we already mentioned. It's in the hand of the local uh, health organizations, and and so probably uh, the one in Berlin will decide differently from the one in Bremen. And if if uh, the one in Berlin says, okay, we we go this way, we treat him like he has a groin injury. But the one in Bremen says, no, no, we don't do that. Uh, there's one guy infected, all the rest is, is going into quarantine. Uh, then, then, then the whole, uh, whole thing is gone. Uh, at least for for the uh, for Bremen and for the opponents of Bremen, and and then in a very short amount of time, uh, the whole concept could uh, fall together. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the um, the way that clubs are affected. Now we have seen um, the likes of uh, Hans Joachim Watzke, the Borussia Dortmund CEO, saying, "Well, if football doesn't come back, we're in trouble, and the Bundesliga in its current guise will not survive." I guess the underlying assumption here is that the biggest club would survive, maybe in in a slightly different 
context, maybe with more money coming in from outside, maybe having to play a Super League rather than a normal league because the other clubs are gone. But how does that impact clubs who are much more dependent on TV money? We know, according to the DFL, that 13 out of the 36 clubs in Bundesliga 1 and 2 would be run into liquidity problems if the TV money doesn't come back. Christopher, I'll start with you. Yeah, especially the uh, the clubs in in the second division seem to be very vulnerable. But but I I think if if the situation goes on for uh, a longer time and the season is not finished at all because all the concept we've been uh, talking about uh, w wouldn't work. I think in the end, all the clubs would be uh, um, affected, even even Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and the big uh, so so the biggest ones. But actually, uh, um, it's 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 very difficult to to get your head around how this could look like. So if if everybody would go bust, what would it mean? Uh, would they all start uh, as a as their own 2.0 uh, version of themselves next season? Will there be a next season? Also an interesting question. At the moment, I I have uh, uh, real difficulties to to get an idea um, what's going to happen. But maybe Kevin can help. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no pressure then. I, I think. <laughs> I think some of the clubs, uh, you know, that we, you know, we've we've read reports and we've we've heard from people that there are clubs that, you know, we talked about that TV money and that final tranche of TV money. That money's been spent already, and you know they are in in severe trouble. And one of the really interesting debates I think there's been uh, within German football in the in the last couple of weeks has been about football getting its house in order. And my point has been throughout this, that's lovely. That's a great idea to have. You want football to be more sustainable. You want it to be more realistic, perhaps. However, that's not where we're at. That horse is over the hills and far away. You're not seeing that horse again. So they have to fix things in the short term. And the only way to do that is to try and get these games played. So I totally understand where the DFL have been coming from in their push to try and get some form of football played because they know many clubs are in big, big trouble in the short term. And that's not just going to be confined to Germany. That's going to be uh, across football, I think. So I think down the track, we're going to have this maybe correction in terms of the transfer market, in terms of the wages and things like that. But in the short term, I think the, the possibility of clubs going into liquidation is very, very real. And you know, if you've got half the league that's in, uh, you know, has, has filed for bankruptcy and half that hasn't, that's going to take a hell of a lot of organising. So it's very, very uncertain times ahead. But I think, you know, people are moralising and saying football needs to change. Yes, long-term change, great, but short-term survival first. I totally agree uh, because there has to be change. But a lot of the crit criticism that was was uh, been mentioned in, in recent weeks is also a bit unjust because I think nobody in any business could be prepared what what's going to happen it's it's a bit like so you everybody's coming out our football is not sustainable that's true to an extent 
But you could also go to Lufthansa or to British Airways and tell them, hey, why are you not prepared for that? Nobody is flying anymore. You can't be prepared for that kind of uh, situation. So you must be you must have be a bit fair in in that context and and kevin is absolutely right i think the football clubs in germany and all over the world are in a hell of a, a problems right now and and they have to to s survive at first but i think already now they should start uh, to think about how you can change football because there is so much wrong about football and i think now would be the um the situation to start changing it because if you want survived and then you get slowly uh, things going uh, nobody thinking about it anymore and it has to be done I think football's going to have a really interesting optics problem as well going forward because let's say we 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 somehow manage to muddle through in, in the football sense and we get these games played and clubs are able to survive in the short term. And I, I broaden this out to other leagues as well. And I think you have to look at the Premier League perhaps uh, more than than any other in this regard. How do you ask players to take wage cuts? How do you ask staff to, to take wage cuts? How, in some cases, are you furloughing staff? So uh, in the UK, they have furloughed staff and the government have stepped in and, and paid uh, a certain proportion of their wages. How do you do all that and then pay 50 million, 70 million, 100 million for a player, whether it's later this year or in the transfer window next year. So that's going to be a really difficult thing for clubs to square. And I know um, Uli Hernes has kind of uh, alluded to this, that, that you know the fees may well drop and you may well see some kind of correction. I'm kind of fascinated to see how clubs approach things in that regard. Are we going to see... 100 million euro transfers plus. Uh, you know, you look at guys like Kai Havertz, Jaden Sancho, two of the best young players in the world. Are the fees for them going to be the same as they would have been before this crisis began? I think right now the football is a, in the danger of losing a lot of people when they don't handle the situation properly. And and one one of the things would be uh, what you were describing right now, Kev. I mean, if if you manage to muddle through to survive in a way, and next season is approaching, and and maybe Maybe we have the same situation with ghost matches, maybe even international ghost matches and so on. And then you have, have this uh, mega transfers. Uh, a lot of money is, is, uh, is uh, giving to agents and, and blah, blah, blah. All that uh, problems that, that uh, football has right now. I, I think people would be even more appalled um, than they are already now. And and I have the fe feeling that there is a, a already now a deep frustration about to see that a football doesn't rely primarily on the supporters, but on the TV money and the revenues from sponsors and and so on. I mean, everybody is understanding this intellectually, and and but I I I think it's what you see is that there is an emotional distancing happening uh, uh, right now. So 
people uh, football has to be very very careful not to lose its base right now because uh, the, it's a unique situation where, where it actually could happen just one final point from me on that just quickly i, I think that's a really really salient point and i actually think what you may have is you may actually have we talked about um, you know, clubs becoming that club's version 2.0. I wonder if some fans would welcome that. I wonder if some fans would feel if a club in its current form went into liquidation, this is extreme, but I wonder if they feel, well, actually, we can rebuild the club in the way that we want and we can have a greater connection with that club. That won't be a universal viewpoint, but I suspect there will be a tranche of fans who feel that that might be something more palatable for them going forward. The issue, I guess, is that, uh, as you alluded to, Christoph, what the ghost game and all this discussion about the current season and the next one, I guess, shows the fans in a very painful way is that they're not really important or they're not the most important thing. That football relies on TV money and that is really the, the baseline for all of it. Now, the, the, the flip side to that argument is, of course, that football is only as accessible as it is with terraces, with relatively cheap prices compared to, to others because a lot of ticket prices are effectively subsidised by, by TV money. So if you then... If you want to be less reliant on TV money, then you have to, I guess, get the money somewhere else. And then we have an issue with ticket prices going up or sponsorship money and football becoming even more commercial. So there is, I think, no easy, no easy way out of this. You're right. But, but also, I think when, when these ghost matches, when they are played out, and we also re had, had our little taste from watching Borussia Mönchengladbach against Cologne, from watching PSG against Borussia Dortmund, from watching some of the uh, EuroLeague matches six, uh, six or seven weeks ago, football is only uh, half as worth to watch without uh, supporters, uh, may, maybe even less. So, so yes, your uh, analysis is right. But what we will see when we watch or try to watch these matches, it's like, oh no, I don't want to see it. It's 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 completely. It doesn't make sense if there is not the interaction between what's going on on the pitch and and what's going on in the stands. I think people are underestimating uh, it. When you're watching football without supporters for weeks and weeks and months, it's the product, as as a lot of people are referring to it. You see, is is losing its value because it's only great with people watching it. And this is a, this, uh, uh, it's, it's a kind of dialogue that is needed. And only football is, is nothing. I think you're right. Uh, I know you're right. I just wonder if football does return and we will have closed games, uh, games behind closed doors for not just the end of the season, but for most part of the next season. I think eventually we might be able somehow to get used to it and see past it. I don't know if that's possible, but I think we might, um, as consumers, probably not as fans, but let's say as consumers, find a way to just kind of zoom in into the actual game and, and forget about it. But I don't, I don't know. Um, one last thing I want to talk to you about is, well, two things. First of all, I wonder, because um, of about the transfer fees, etc. I'm just not sure whether we are 
as morally outraged and appalled about these things as as sometimes the reaction suggests. I mean, my sense is, yes, Bayern Munich buying Leroy Sané would annoy a lot of people, but if Sané plays there for the next five years, helps them win the Champions League, I guess that outrage might be very quickly forgotten. Um, so in a way, I think it's right that that a, a club like Bayern with their aspirations can try to anticipate what happens when normality returns in two, three years. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, but I think right now the risk is much bigger if you spend a lot of money for uh, for players. Because yes, we get used to uh, uh, ever-increasing sums of money spent on, on players. So uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty old, so I can remember the outrage uh, um, when uh, Cologne paid one million German marks for Roger van Gaal. So that was the first um, a one a million uh, transfer in the Bundesliga. And I think that was in 1978 or so. And... Um, and now we're talking about 100 million and maybe 250 million one time and so so on so you you get used to it but right now it could be a problem in this uh, situation and i'm not not so so sure if if people are uh, as uh, readily accepting it as they did it in the past. Okay, the last question on this is the fans. We, we heard about their uh, opposition. We, we confronted some of the arguments. Um, we all understand, I think, that they are in opposition to ghost games. I think, um, in, in principle, we all are. But what are we to make of these fears that we see reported at, uh, in some quarters that they might, some ultras or might some very, very determined opponents of ghost games might somehow go, get together to sabotage this whole event. I mean, this doesn't seem to me very credible if you think about what all the good stuff that the ultras have done in recent weeks. What do you think, Kevin? I'll start with you. You'd like to think so. And you're absolutely right to point out all of the great stuff that the Ultras have done. And I think what we've seen is a really interesting switch because we were talking, it seems like about 10 years ago now, but we were talking a few weeks ago about the Dietmar Hopp controversy and, and maybe the, the kind of bad side of Ultras and, and that kind of thing. But I think what we've seen since is how they do help in the community, how they, uh, how they are able to mobilise and make good things happen. So so I think that's been great to see. I do think there is a fear because I do think there is uh, serious opposition to this and that's been voiced um, in on numerous platforms and forums. So I think uh, that is real and I think that is credible. Whether they would actively try and sabotage these games when they know what the consequences could be, that would be extreme action. But I mean, what we have already seen, I mean, we talked about Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Borussia Dortmund. We saw hundreds of fans gathering outside the Parc des Princes on that occasion. That um, Rhineland derby we saw between Gladbach and Köln, we saw lots of fans gathering there as well. So I think it's something they do have to take seriously because the moment that it starts to become a police matter and their resources start being dragged away from where they need to be, then this whole Geisterspieler concept is in serious danger. So 
I don't think it's something they need to overreact to, but I think it's something they definitely need to consider. I think it is, however remote, I think it is a possibility that there could be organised opposition that would try and get these games called off. I think it's it's very, very unlikely. There was a lot of criticism and, 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 and a lot of people are fundamentally against Geisterspiele, but nobody so far has said uh, uh, we, we will sabotage it. And the rule will be clear or uh, were made clear whoever is trying to do this will stop the match and the points were given to the opponent so so if you're a frankfurt um, ultra and you want to stop geisterspiele at frankfurt and you gather at the stadium the match will be abandoned and the uh, points will give, be given to the visiting team and maybe even if you're a I, I don't know cologne supporter and you go to schalke to to sabotage it there um, uh, the points will go to Schalke. So, uh, so I think it's a it's a bit like a, a ghost discussion ab- uh, uh, about that. I I don't uh, I don't uh, see a, a big likelihood that it, things like uh, this are going to happen. Okay, so it seems those fears are slightly overblown. But my biggest fear is that the El Freunde jinx will kick in again because you, Christoph, put a headline on this month's edition saying the game will go on. Now, um, <laughs> considering everything that happened in the past, I'm very worried. It's all on you, Christoph. I'm very worried that we won't see any football. I mean, we were trying once in a while to to uh, do stories and about Bayern Munich, and uh, we always fail with the jinx then. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope that this time it won't be a jinx, because otherwise we're, we're all in trouble. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk to you briefly about the, uh, well, not briefly, about the um, team of the year for the Bundesliga. Um, it would otherwise been um, nomination time, um, end of April, early May. Um, this year it'll take a little bit longer, but I think it's time to have a bit of a look back. What, I've edit- what I think has been a pretty vintage season, especially as far as individual performances are concerned, I think the Bundesliga can count itself lucky to have a lot of interesting players playing really well this year. So starting with you, Kevin, give me your goalkeeper and your defenders, please. So my goalkeeper is Jan Zoma. I think he's been very much back to his best uh, this season, commanding lots of terrific saves from him. Uh, my two centre-backs, uh, David Alaba, who I think has switched to being a centre-back terrifically well, so consistent. Uh, Nico Elvedi's in there and he might be a bit of a controversial pick but actually every time I've commentated on him this season he's been tremendous and he's so calm unfussy I think he's really really improved Ashraf Hakimi is the right back because I think he's just a force of nature so terrific to watch so attacking despite a few defensive issues here and there and Marcel Halstenberg would be my left back because again like Alaba he's played centre back he's played left back I think he's been tremendous for Leipzig very very solid um Perhaps unflashy, but very solid uh, choices. Christoph? Please don't ask me. You find me completely unprepared oh. for that. Because I I, I, I was just uh, uh, trying to remember who is pl- who was actually playing <laughs> in the Bundesliga. Because Excellent. It, it was so, so I was, oh, Halstenberg, interesting. Yes, he's right. Yeah, yes. Jan Sommer had a, had a, actually a real great season so, uh, so far. But that must have been ages ago. I don't know when, when that that happened <laughs> you might be able to comment on on my choices and kevin so my goalkeeper is actually peter gulashi 
um, who I think has been um, slightly overlooked because he's just so unspectacular, but spectacularly good but in being unspectacular, if that makes sense. Um, I've gone for a back three, which is all the rage now, as you know, um, <laughs> with uh, Upamecano, who I think, and I think Christoph might agree, is just so sensational yes. to watch. The one centre-back that you want to watch, which is a very rare thing, um, but you want to watch him. Um, alongside... Um, Mats Hummels, who I've sort of picked for kind of symbolic reasons. I think he um, he gets a lot of bad press, but he's had some unbelievable performances, especially in the Champions League. And I think he has really helped uh, Borussia Dortmund, at least getting to the point where they can possibly, possibly uh, defend. And the third one might be a controversial choice because he's only played nine games so far in all competitions. But I think his impact has been astonishing and it's Edmund Topsoba. Um, yes, ah, very good. Uh, yeah, he is. He is. He is so good. I mean, I think um, the impact he's had and, and sort of the the, the the little time he's taken um, relative to the improvement of the whole Leverkusen setup has just been absolutely astonishing. Um, Gustav, any comments you want to make? I agree on Upamecano. Um, uh, because he is, he is, he is, he is for me, is one of the outstanding players this season in the Bundesliga. He is a kind of one-man army, and the almost uh, in many matches um, he looked like the perfect defender. I also agree on Hummels. Actually, uh, I, I think he was he was pretty influential for for Borussia uh, Dortmund. Um, I agree more with Kevin concerning the goalkeeper uh, Jan Sommer. Top Soba is 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 uh, he he is fantastic, but but as you said, he only played uh, nine matches, so um, maybe it's a, it's a bit pre premature. Um, but let's see. Okay, so right midfield, um, I will start. So in my three four three formation, I've gone with wing backs. So um, that's my way of squeezing Hakimi and Alfonso Davis into the side as wide players. And then in the center, um, well, I should maybe explain, I think Hakimi is, for all his defensive um, frailty, a just sensational player on the ball, especially when he has a bit more license to go forward, um, sometimes even playing as a winger, sometimes playing as a left back. The guy can basically do almost anything in wide positions and he does some spectacular stuff with the ball. Um, Alfonso Davis, I think you have to you have to put in this uh, this eleven. He's been, I think, the one shooting star in the league, both for Bayern, but for you know the German top flight, an unbelievable talent. And then in the center, I have uh, Thiago, who runs the show and who has, of course, been the subject of a very lengthy uh, article in the Athletic, looking at his numbers and perhaps uh, trying to explain why he's a little bit underappreciated. And next to him, Kai Havertz. Now, Kai Havertz has had um, a pretty mediocre first half of the season, at least by his standards, but he's since bounced back quite spectacularly. And I think any best 11 in the league can't live without his uh, creative genius. See, I feel like I've been really harsh with some of my with some of the players because Upamecano got ditched because he missed the start of the season. Havertz got ditched because before Christmas he was absolutely out on his feet like a boxer who'd done twelve rounds, and you just needed to give him a slight tap and he'd be over. Um, my, I've gone for a midfield three. 
uh, Rafa's team is so fashionable it should be on a catwalk, quite frankly, like a 3-4-3, three, three, wing backs. It's delightful. Uh, I've gone for an old-fashioned 4-3-3. Uh, three, three. Where I've cheated a little is I put Jaden Sancho in midfield because he should really be in the front three, but I've squeezed him in there. What a terrific talent that kid is. Just remarkable. Um, his consistency, his speed, his ability on the ball. But most of all, the picture he has of all the players around him at any one time. He'll pick the perfect pass. He knows exactly what he wants to do with the ball. I've put Marcel Zabitzer in there because I think he's been hugely important for Leipzig this season, not just in the league, but in the Champions League. Uh, he has adapted to this uh, double six position, as they would call it in Germany, this more uh, all-round midfielder rather than being just on the attack all the time. Uh, Dennis Zakaria as well. I think he's been terrific for Gladbach. I think he's learned so much under Marco Rosa this season, a true box-to-box midfielder, but he's even shown that he can drop into a, a back three if necessary. So that's the three I've gone for in midfield. I'm a big advocate of, of Kai Harbers. You know that he would be in my team and also Thiago would be in, in my team. And um, I would also, in real life, would like to, to see them uh, and play together um, and so um, yeah I'm, I'm curious what I'm, I'm, I hear from your forwards. Well if you want to see them play together in real life just put a cover saying they should never play together <laughs> 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 reverse jinx um, so my forwards uh, Sancho I think um, should be a forward uh, I think Kevin you have been cheating um, of yeah. course, Lewandowski, <laughs> uh, we don't even have to talk about him. And Werner, um, I, I think those three picked themselves. Uh, I went for uh, two of those. I went for Werner and Lewandowski. Werner, I think his development under Nagelsmann has been remarkable. Uh, and I think he said himself that he's been playing in this kind of um, uh, attacking midfield role at times. He hasn't just been playing off the shoulder. He's been uh, a, a much more rounded player, I think, this season. And Thomas Müller is my last one because bucket loads of assists. I just think Bayern are never truly at their best if he's not in the team. I still don't think there's anybody like him in European football. Uh, I think his, his mix of movement, intelligence, uh, passion, uh, I think still makes him one of the top players in the Bundesliga right now. I'm belonging to the not, not being such a big Thomas Müller fan group. Lewandowski, uh, no doubt about him. And uh, yeah, maybe even Timo Werner, although he, to me, he is still a bit one-dimensional. Am I unjust? Is that fair to him? I don't know. If you can be one-dimensional and score 22 goals, it's, I think it's excusable. Thank you so much. You've been anything but one-dimensional. Um, thank you, listeners, for um, checking out the Starcast. We'll be back next week with hopefully some good news as far as the Bundesliga is concerned. Take care of yourself. See you then.